0: A reading from the book of Moses, Genesis chapter 29, verses 15 through 28 in the New American Standard Bible. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your daughter, for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed, that I may go in to her. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought him to her, and brought her to him. And Jacob went in to her. Laban also gave his maid, Zilpah, to his daughter, Leah, as a maid. So it came about the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, it is not the practice of our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn." Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. A reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 128 in the New American Standard Bible. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. Within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The, the Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. A reading from the first book of Kings, chapter 3, verses 5 through 12, in the New American Standard Bible. Thus in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night and God said, ask what you wish of me to give you. Then Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant, David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved him for this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on the throne, sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O my Lord God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked for riches, nor asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice? Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. A reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verses 65 through 72, in the New American Standard Bible. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39 in the New American Standard Bible. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we, are, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the life of, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord reading from the gospel of Matthew Chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, and verses 44 through 52 in the New American Standard Bible. Jesus, he presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, and this is smaller than all other seeds but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind, and when it is filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you, understand, have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Lord, we pray as Solomon prayed that you would give us wisdom, understanding, help us to do, Lord, what, uh, and just a seminal idea here tonight, Lord, by your spirit, give us wisdom to understand your word, your law, your justice, your equity, your mercy, Lord, those, those things that you say um, are the deeper things of the law. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. So we're going to have two main themes tonight: uh, affliction and wisdom. So, uh, so let's take a look at that. Um, the Genesis passage. I just I'm going to kind of mostly hit uh, Genesis, Psalm one nineteen. I probably won't even talk about Psalm one twenty eight due to time, but you guys have a, little, a couple notes to, to get you started. Um, First Kings, we'll try to hit. Romans and our gospel passage, we'll try to uh, spend a good deal looking at those. So afflictions and wisdom uh, in these passages, they might not be as connected as we initially think, but I want to kind of tie them. Through. One thing I love about doing these gospel readings or doing the scripture readings is that it mandates you can look at the book of Moses and and read this passage and have an interpretation and see what you can get out of it like there are some real practical things like um, uh, you know next time if you get married remove the veil first <laughs> check your wife <laughs> when some yeah you know in the economy like you don't buy something before you you check it right like you don't buy a car before you check it out. So you could get some real wisdom out of that. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that's what the Lord wants us to necessarily get out of this. Um, but you could read it that way. And you could go on to the uh, the, the gospel reading and the reading in Romans. And you can interpret them. And in how do I apply this to my life? And what do I do? But... Uh, That's not the primary view of scripture on how we should interpret things. And what I really like seeing and doing with these passages are, because you are saying all of these tie together somehow because all of the Bible is tied together. So let's try to figure out how these uh, correlate. You know, in in God's sovereignty and providence, I was uh, in a hurry to talk to Greg yesterday about, we try to sit down and talk about these scripture passages and, and we got one sentence in of, he was like, well, what scripture passages are that? I'm like, well, it's Genesis 29 with, you know, Leah and Rachel and Laban and, and Jacob and getting married and that deception and, you know, working the seven years for one and then 14 for Rachel and whatnot. And he's like, well, I'd bring out, you know, you know, Romans 8:28. And I'm like, well, I think that's actually part of their reading. <laughs> so, uh, so that was cool. But anyways, so. I want to always go back to, to John 539 that Jesus says uh, that you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life but it is these that testify about me. So I always want to look and connect the Christocentric, Christotelic themes in, in our uh, Old Testament reading. And I mostly do that with our first reading in Genesis and not necessarily with our uh, alternate first reading in 1 in Kings today. So I just want to hit, like, I think this is one of the greatest things I personally like reading um, in, as part of, if you're thinking about, like, the gospel and the gospel presentation is that Christ is totally willing to suffer for his bride. Jacob is in love with Rachel, right? He gets duped into Leah, she's got weak eyes, soft eyes, you know, I don't know exactly what that means but i know then it describes rachel as very beautiful in form and appearance and the king james says that he put his he the king james interprets it in in a way that it says that he puts his love on her like he not just that she was hot and he liked her more and, you know because she was the younger one or something but that he chose to love her there were things that he saw in rachel and if you read that in context um that Indicates that that Jacob is choosing to love her. He's putting his love on her. He's and he's not going to pull it away. Um, and it's in such a way that he's willing uh, to get duped. I'm sure he was probably pretty excited on his wedding night and uh, to wake up the next morning to find out he married the wrong girl. Uh, got duped. And so, but how he responds, I think, is really important because it gives us a picture of how Christ responds. And we're going to. Look at that in Romans eight twenty in Romans eight and um, and in that Psalm one nineteen passage. So I'm not sure exactly what would be appropriate for the Hebrew culture, you know, in this time, but it seems like Jacob would have some kind of right to say, no, 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 call this off, reneg, send back Leah. This isn't right. That's not what I said. That's not what we agreed upon, and give me the girl that I re- we agreed upon. I work seven years. That seems reasonable to be upset and to maybe uh, ask for things to be made right, and how do you make that right? I don't know, but uh, that would require a lot of wisdom. But how does Jacob respond? And God gives us an indication that this is a godly response, is that he finishes the week with Leah, and then he's willing to work, and suffer under laban and read the rest of genesis 29 and uh to 32 i think of how he suffers under laban for seven more years and laban steals from him he treats him harshly uh he continues you know to uh to downplay kind of who jacob is and doesn't acknowledge like this is a guy that's an offspring of abraham you know abraham's grandson and he, know, I think he knows about the blessing. He knows about Abraham. Laban knows about Abraham uh, when he shows up. And Laban uses it for his own selfish gain. And and Jacob's willing to suffer. He doesn't, you know, now when he flees and he's, and Laban finally catches up to him, they they have words. And he says, I've done this and, and you've been blessed because of me, because of the blessing that's upon me. Um, but just like, you know, Jacob, like, Christ is suffering for his bride. And and I don't want to just, like, spiritualize and just say, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He suffered. We instantly go to that. But, you know, in, in a real sense, like, he's interceding on our behalf right now because he wants to bring his bride into perfection. He wants to bring us into sanctification, you know. Um, so look at that further. I gave you guys a little other things on... Um, that you can look at, like, you know, I think it would be totally appropriate to uh, look at Leah and Rachel as two covenants um, and just looking, you know, using the same principle. We're going to talk about the general equity of the law when we look at um, Psalm 119, and I think. But, you know, Galatians 4 points out that the, the uh, two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant, couldn't be interpreted allegorically, is what the ESV reads of between the, uh, between with Abraham and, and Sarah and Abraham and, uh, who's the other lady? Why am I drawing a blank? Hagar, Hagar, right? I was like, Haggai. I was like, it's not (laughs) Haggai. Drew a blank. Sorry. Need more coffee. So I think it's totally appropriate to interpret it that way and look at who Leah is and who Rachel is. Not just that she's the, you know, looking at, at Rachel, that um, is, would be in this time frame, the second covenant, what her name is, uh, even though she has tons of downfalls, and you can interpret my notes that says exchanges for mandrakes, and you can read that at home. So um, I'm actually going to skip over Psalm 128, and let's take a look at First Kings, So we're all for. We're probably all familiar with this: that Solomon comes in as king, is heir to the throne of his father David. And when he comes in, um, the one thing he asks for, right? I like to think of um, in context of Psalm 27:4. Uh, David writes, "One thing I ask of the Lord, that which I will seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple." David's one plea was for to be close with the Lord and his heart, you know, transpired into, into Solomon. And Solomon wanted to do his job well. He really just did at the beginning, I think. And um, if you're thinking about what a king is doing in this time frame, you know, he's asking and he's asking for wisdom. And what's the first thing that comes up in his job that we know of? Uh, two women come with a baby and he's like, cut it in half, cut the baby in half. By the way, that would not be uh, a proper response for anybody who's not moving in the spirit of the Lord. <laughs> that'd, that'd be the like, in our minds, the worst response you can like. That's like Solomon. What is this a joke? Like, we got to get you out of here. <laughs> but it, but by moving by the spirit of the Lord, and the Lord is totally pleased um, with Solomon in what he asks, and it reminds me of James one five. If any of you lacks wisdom. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Uh, I think a lot of times we say that or we pray that. uh, Read the next passage, James 1, uh, 6, that says, let him who asks, ask in faith. And I think a lot of times we do that, and then we expect a different result than what we asked for. I think we do. I do it all the time. Like well, Lord, give me wisdom, and then you know, it's not—it's not always this like nebulous spiritual wisdom that God like beams down to your brain. But most of the wisdom we find uh, that we're going to talk about um, uh, is is found in Scripture, right? So, uh, the Westminster Confession talks about what the general equity of the law is. Does anybody know what that is? Let me know. What general equity of the law is. Uh, yeah, and it could be generally applied to different situations. So like in, um, uh, what is it, Exodus 22, somewhere between like, somewhere in Exodus, I think, um, you know, it talks about you shall not muzzle uh, the ox while he's treading out grain, right? That's a, that's a husbandry law that was put in the Old Testament for animals, for as you're plowing as the ox is treading out, don't muzzle it. Let it eat, right? We have the same kind of laws we see where if the sojourner is coming, let them glean from the fields, but let them only take what they can carry. Don't put it in their bags, right? And so uh, in, I think it's First Timothy, it Might be, it's one of the Timothys, it might be a Second Timothy. Um, Paul interprets that passage, that law, as uh, pay your pastors, <laughs> right? doesn't have any, like you would read that and you'd be like, this has nothing to do with the pastorate of people who preach the word and teach. It's about an ox who's working, right? Right, it doesn't apply to horses. It uh, doesn't apply to mules. It only applies to ox because that's what it says, ox. Right, that's called legalism. So uh, Paul takes the general equity and the Westminster Confession uses those terms of, of the law that they're generally applied, Right. So we need the same type of wisdom. All I'm getting at is that we need the same type of wisdom and ask for it the same way Solomon did. We're called, and same as Solomon was called, to do is to be people of the law, to know the law, and to apply it. Um, going back to as I was as I was praying, Matthew 23, 23, Jesus rebukes, I think it's the scribes. I, yeah, I think it's the scribes saying... Um, that you tithe mints and dill and cumin like you ought to, uh, but you didn't under but you didn't understand the weightier things of the law, uh, love, justice, uh, and equity. I think of the three. Let me look it up real quick, unless anybody can get to it before me. Matthew twenty three twenty three. Justice and mercy and faithfulness it says these things you all have done without neglecting the others, right? So those are actually like the, you should be reading the law. We've talked about, we always have a Psalm 119 passage on here, and and we will always, I think, because we have to be people of the law. We have to understand it. We have to know it. We should read Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy heavily and know it and know how to, how to apply it, right? How do we... Uh, and that, that applies for all generations everywhere. So um, we have to be looking for those things, because when we come to that Psalm one nineteen, the only thing I want to really bring out is verse 71. He says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statues. Right. He didn't see it is good for me that I was afflicted so that I could learn to love you or that I could learn to whatever. He doesn't use, you know, by the mouth or by the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't use any other word except for that I may learn your statutes. So as we get to, and what were the what were the, some of the afflictions? Well, you could look at verse 69, the arrogant have forged a lie against me, right? Like constantly David, even though David didn't always walk in integrity, we know that. Uh, you know there are passages that talk about like I walked in my integrity and there was like you know there was nothing that could have honestly there is no honest charge that could have been brought against me he says in the psalms and because he walked in his integrity yet they still came after him they still afflicted him there were still afflictions um, so i think we have to really keep that in mind cuz like trials and hardships are sure to come you can bet on that if you're alive You can bet on that. Uh, uh, Because I think when we get to this Romans passage, a lot of us, like, I love to, you know, think about God's sovereignty and how he's like in every situation. But I think we need to start developing. You know, I think when we I think the point of maturity and affliction starts happening when we start looking at, okay, what does the Lord want me to learn through this? And and you start having a thankful heart. Right one of the best things I ever learned in actual getting counsel from a professional counselor was, well, it's like the only thing I remember, uh, there's probably tons of really good things that I don't remember. But um, I remember the point of which uh, a counselor told me, you know, you need to start, whether you feel like it or not, being thankful for your circumstances and just start thanking God. Because... Guess what? Like when I read Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, I could like sit here and say, amen, but like, I don't feel that. Like, I don't really feel that, that much. I'm like, oh, great. Like I tried to sell my car on Facebook marketplace and get some extra money and then the radiator blew and now I can't sell it. What passage was that? Praise God. Romans eight twenty eight. 28. Um, but it's for a specific reason. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined uh, and also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, right? So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. If you went to the counseling course, you heard that like (laughs) every counseling class, three or four times every session, right? Hardships are coming. Conflict is coming. Affliction is coming. We're here. You know, they were trying to like pound into our brains that as we sit with counselees, you know, that we have to help them to understand that there's a a hardship in your life, either because things are really hard, right? Some hardships come because uh, people stink. (laughs) People are not the greatest, um, you know, and they treat you poorly for sometimes for no reason at all. Right. Sometimes you do walk in your integrity and you get treated poorly. And the more, you know, it's my conviction that the more uh, we as the body of Christ in a uh, in a in a society that's morally like spiraling out of control in the current state is like the more we walk in our integrity, the more we're going to get like actually persecuted. We don't have that many hardships, at least that I know of corporately. You know, at least compared to in our modern age, the church in China right now can't even hang a cross without getting persecuted physically. They'll shoot you. They'll. Uh, I just read a story earlier today about an elderly lady who they decided not to shoot and they just took away all her income that was from the state because she had a cross on her door. That's a real affliction. and uh, And I didn't make as much money this month selling a Honda as I wanted to you know so it's not as bad as you think as far as it is in, in America yet but but the point is and that is that he says it was good for me in Psalm 1 11971 it is good for me that I was afflicted right he notices that it's good this was a good thing right he sees he has the the perspective that he may learn the Lord's statutes, your statutes. So, um, I think I can do three more minutes and do the rest on the gospel reading. So, in in Romans, um, think about this: we have, and so in the afflictions that that Jacob foreshadowed of Christ, uh, in obviously Christ's uh, afflictions, like one thing I like to think about, not just Christ's physical afflictions, like. Christ, Like, Christ suffered with the the apostles the whole time he called them. And and you know what? Like, it doesn't give an indication in the gospel reading, but when he says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And uh, I'm like, (laughs) if I was Jesus, uh, man, I'd be like, do you really? Like, do you really get it? Because when we get to Acts chapter one, it's going to kind of indicate that you don't. You don't really get it. But, But what did he do? He suffered silently. Um... 1 Peter 2, 18 through 23, this is specifically talking, you know, in the section about servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good uh, and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when, uh, when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? Right. So what credit is it when you sin and you get beat and you get rightly afflicted because you deserve it? Right. There's no benefit. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example. Right. So. One of my favorite Christian disciplines is actually just like sitting alone and, and meditating on the word and you know there's a lot of like this like when I read especially like Old Testament or any historical passages where you like you have to kind of like put yourself in like oh like you know Moses was like really angry and I wonder what his staff looked like and I wonder how shocked he was when he hit the rock and it and water came out I've would been like, <gasps> like <laughs> this is weird this is, there's water in this rock right but you know Says, leaving you an example in suffering, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin; neither was the seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to, him. <coughs> excuse me, him who judges justly. So, you know, one of the. Uh, Early things I learned, and I, I still have no idea who suggested the book Do Hard Things to me. I've convinced like five to eight people to read it, and the only thing I remember out of it you know, that really hit home to me is, oh my gosh, these guys are teenagers and they've accomplished more than I'll ever accomplish in my entire life. I'm a little bit behind. And the whole premise of the book is that you should look for hard things to do to build your character and to be used for God, right? Um, we're called to this type of, of suffering in a physical sense when there's real affliction. You know, in First Peter and in, in Jacob's case, like he's suffering, those are real sufferings and trials. Most of us aren't going to go through something that long and arduous and, and that hard because we live still live in an age of Christian prosperity where most of the world is prospering because of a Christian influence in the West. But, um hardships are to come and we have to be prepared and this is how we we grow in the Lord is through these hardships and reminding ourselves in those things that number one God's sovereign if you're going through like afflictions or trials even if it's you know because of of your own sin you know uh, taking apart you know following Christ's steps in 1 in Peter that he committed no sin well I, I didn't <laughs> not today Maybe tomorrow. I doubt it. But uh, he continued to uh, entrust himself to God who judges justly. And just like, you know, in Romans, Romans eight, that we have to understand and have a mindset It says first Peter talks about when we're mindful of God, that God is sovereign. God loves us. Right. He actually cares for us. Earlier in Romans, it says that the spirit bears witness that we are children of God. If the spirit bears witness, uh, I think the Lord's doing something in your life. If you're here, if you're in church, if you're seeking to have something to do with God, then uh, I think that's the spirit bearing witness a little bit. Uh, And that God is able, right? He's not going to just leave us high and dry. He's putting these things in our lives. And we, when we have fights with roommates or, you know, or whoever, or not getting along or things, you know hardest thing in my life is things don't go my way and it's really hard because I really want it to be my way and you know what God sovereignly puts it in my life that things don't go my way and I'm trying to trust him about that I think he knows what he's doing but okay Uh, but yeah meditate on those things think about like you know when it says like Christ committed no sin and follow in his steps of like uh I love holy week and we have all these visual representations of of Christ's passion for like a whole week leading up to the cross and just sitting and meditating and imagining what that would be like. So uh, I commend everyone to to think about that. So into our gospel reading for the last three minutes, um, I just want to talk a little bit about, I had more notes here because I prepared this last week for this one uh, and didn't prepare for last week's the actual passage. So... Um, allow the scriptures and the parables like so when it comes to wisdom jesus says do you understand these things and he says yes and then the hard i think the hardest part of it i think i it's pretty easy to understand that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field and it's the smallest of all seeds but when it's full grown it's larger than right the kingdom of god is sown among other kingdoms and it's the smallest one when it's sown when jesus saying the kingdom of god is at hand you know And ever since the, at least the day of Pentecost, the church has been growing and it's going to continue to be the largest kingdom in all the earth. That's what, I think that's a pretty easy one to understand. Same thing um, with uh, the leaven, right? It's mixed in until it's all mixed in. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is going to continue to expand and infiltrate all of it, right? Um, Right, in verses 44, Uh, and onward what's it worth it's worth everything to be part of the kingdom to do kingdom work you should be about your father's business right but where wisdom comes into play I kind of want to just talk about that real quick when he says have you understood all these things and they said to him yes and Jesus said therefore said to them therefore every scribe who has been a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a, a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old That's when I'm like, "Mm, I'm going to need to do some research on that one. What do you mean? Right. So I don't know. I think it's in your notes. Also, I think I quoted John Gill um, or paraphrased that those things which are newly applicable or discovered yet old truths from the foundation of the world. So this is the first time I read John Gill's commentary. And I was like, hmm, I think it's deeper than that. But I think he's right in saying understanding things of the kingdom, you know, just think of the... You know, you are trained as a scribe. You are trained to know the word, to write it down. Scribes knew the law and understood these things. And so you're called to know the word. And you're a master of a house who knows when to bring out new things and knows when to bring out old things. How do you know? How do you know when, when Daniel has, uh, you know, people over, Daniel and Christiana have people over, how do you know if he's going to be offering them a glass of water or some red wine, or a bourbon? <laughs> wisdom. right? He might know a little bit about them too, right? It's you don't just, uh, you know, because you want to offer what the, you want to be hospitable to the guest in that situation, right? So it would take wisdom, right? So I just want to kind of put that out there, um, that when he's saying those things, like, you know, going back to the knowing the law, knowing affliction, and the general equity, and all these things, of you need to be praying, we should be praying for wisdom. That would give us a new mind in affliction, in suffering, in, in all the things, you know, pertaining to how we grow in the Lord. Um, but also, like, it takes a, I think it takes a very specific, you know, uh, wisdom of the Holy Spirit in situations to know what to do. We could understand the general equity of the law. But that can actually only go so far, right? We should know that, but we also need to cry out for wisdom from God and how to act in, in every situation, right? How do you know, uh, I'll I'll kind of leave us on this. Uh, There's, I won't name who it is because, or who the quote's from, but it was, you know, paraphrasing saying like, well, how do I know if I want to go to this job or this job or this job? You know, I've got all these three job offers. Uh, And the guy was famous for saying something to the effect of, uh, well, uh, you know, love the Lord, love your neighbor. Is it against any biblical, you know, morality that you shouldn't be part of the job? And just pick one, right? Use some wisdom, like just pick one. Uh, He gave the same thing with like, well, I'm interested in this girl and this girl and this girl, which one should I marry? And he said, well, love the Lord, (laughs) pick one. (laughs) And so... uh, so anyways, I think that's just something we should be praying for you know on 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 Wednesday nights. Jesus is constantly saying, "He who has ears let him hear he specifically talked in parables so that people wouldn't understand, and that certain people wouldn't understand and that certain people would understand and uh, so we should be crying out for this type of wisdom we should be crying out for Understanding in affliction, I don't. If you ask for affliction, you'll get it. So (laughs) use wisdom in that, Um, uh, and and faith in God, and new eyes to see that that we could suffer, um, suffer well, grow in Christ, understand the word of the Lord better, and grow in supernatural wisdom. So let's pray, and then we'll worship. Lord, we. we thank you for all the things, Lord. We thank you for the things that we perceive as good and the things that we perceive as bad, even the evil done to us uh, individually and corporately is, is still good in your sight, Lord. All things are good. We, we would have to understand that by faith, Lord, because our hearts don't understand that naturally. We pray for supernatural wisdom. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit, and we would be people who understand your statutes, understand your law and your precepts. Amen.